Dr. Franz Cronier is a political scientist and chairman of the board of directors of the Social Research Foundation. Also a great favorite amongst the business community. He is going to be presenting a keynote at the business conference in March from the 12th to the 14th. So today we're going to get an update on all the major issues that have been going on. Franz, I saw you had an interview with High FM, uh, which was extremely well listened to, uh, I must have been sent it by at least half a dozen people to say, go and hear what he's got to say about the state of, uh, or what's going on in the Middle East. And that was one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you. There's, a, I suppose, a related issue uh, with the young cricketer who has got, uh, well, all kinds, of, uh, all kinds of controversy around him now, the under-19 captain. We'll talk about him, David Tiger. But, but let's start with the election first and the South African election. You've been guiding us well. Where are you seeing things right now? At, if the election were held today, what kind of an outcome would you anticipate? Right. The ANC is still at that knife edge of just on 50%. So the, on the balance of probabilities, it's going to be uh, just above, just below the 50% mark. That means that with one or two smaller parties, it's able to govern at a national level. Make that your baseline. But in Gauteng, it's going to get somewhere in the 30s. And it's also going to lose in KZN. And uh, the DA is getting stronger and consolidating in the Western Cape. So you'll have an ANC with a with a, uh, a small majority nationally. You've got to strike a coalition deal in Johannesburg. You've got to strike a coalition in Gauteng, Johannesburg, something. And in KZN, and the DA is dominant in the Western Cape. That is a stepping stone, that result, to in, in line with a long-term trend, which should see national support for the ANC in the high 30s, perhaps low 40s, in the election of 2029. So the big political transition is still absolutely on the cards. It's almost certainly going to happen for South Africa. This is a step towards that. The blueprint will be the deals that are made in Gauteng and KZN. That will disappoint quite a few people who are hoping that the ANC will get 40%, maybe even below that. And some of the opposition politicians are outspoken on this subject. Why is it that your reading is more optimistic for the ANC than many others? Well, I think it's optimistic for the ANC. I think it's catastrophic for the ANC. It, it used to be a colossus. Two thousand and four, it had almost seventy percent of the vote. Now it's fighting for survival. Will lose the 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 most important urban centre by by far. If only urban people voted in South Africa, the ANC would get a third of the vote. So the cosmopolitan, urban, aspirant, and established, better educated, working middle classes or a constituency the ANC has permanently surrendered and, and will never recover. And, and, and given that, that it was only you know, 10 years ago or so that, that it was still 
uh, thinking of aspiring to 60% majorities, I think the country is changing very, very quickly. And and uh, that is a good thing. You know, we're in the minority of, if you think historically, emerging markets, certainly post-colonial African societies, that when they got into serious uh, economic and living standards trouble, had the clear option of changing the administration in charge peacefully. So my my sense of of the place and where it's going is is very much more positive than 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 I would have sounded uh, talking to audiences, you know, really at any point in the last fifteen years when it was inevitable that we were going to get into serious trouble, we were going to run out of electricity. People denied these things, but in 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 the data, and if you took the trends of the data, it was obvious all this was going to. And in the same way to me now, it's, it's, not, it's not obvious, but on the balance of probabilities, the likely outcome is that we find our way to a more centrist uh, coalition government towards the end of this decade. Now, that might not be an amazing government. Pretoria is not going to swoop in and, and, and lead us to greatness, turn us into the Singapore of Africa. But what it means is that we're likely to remain a fairly free society one in which you can, to a great extent, uh, take whatever measures you wish to create a community, a living standards, a business for yourself that allows you to maintain a, uh, a relatively high standard of living where you have the requisite education. It means the society is not on the brink of, 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 of collapse or catastrophe or about to fall off the cliff. I think that you hear that, the, the doom view, I think it is very much less likely that that will happen to us than um, the, by my relative standards, very much more upside uh, option, which I've, I've set out now over here and other places for the last two years or so. So it's all relative. It's all perspective. Uh, there are, however, lots of new political parties which are hoping to get decent slices. Uh, Gaten McKenzie is very excited about his chances. Um, Herman Mashaba as well. Uh, Songezo Zibi with Rise Mzanzi is getting uh, quite a bit of talk. What is your view on those entrants? Yeah, I mean, my, my, my view is, is we, we poll regularly and in a serious way and what those numbers reveal is some gazels at about zero. Um, Gaten's not doing terribly well. Uh, he he says I'm completely wrong, which obviously partly say and 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 so on. It could could be wrong. Musi um, Maimane very very slow. Uh, Herman Mashaba far off the potential uh, that he had when he first hit the scene, he's probably aspired to 3%, 4%. He also says that's, that's wrong and that's fine. So the, the, the smaller um, newcomers are, I mean, they're important if you think the ANC is just on that 50% knife edge. 1% of that election makes you potentially influential kingmaker, whether it's in a province or at a national level. 
But I, I think the hype about the smaller parties is overstated. We've seen relatively strong growth in the in the Democratic Alliance. It's consolidating an important constituency, which is that same urban cosmopolitan aspirant and established a middle class a voter market, and it will take that to any future coalition negotiation. So, and then the EFF uh, chaps, they, you know, on, 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 they in the polls struggle to break north of 11, 12, 13%. On a really good day, perhaps you can take them to 15 or so. But relative to the amount of poverty and just general horror of living standards in South Africa's poor communities, this radical far-left uh, party with its brilliant marketing gets, in, in the relative sense, little traction, uh, which is, again, the, the comment uh, that the, 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 the populists, which I've made on this show often and, and elsewhere, South African public opinion is on, on balance, very centrist, and very moderate. Now, when I do this thing where people say the country's terrible, I say, just think through what you mean by that. It's changing basically democratically. We're not shooting at each other. Politicians argue, fight with each other, can be shambolic. But it's not violent, it's not Gaza or Zimbabwe. Secondly, public opinion is not crazed radical extreme, they're actually centrist, moderate, and as long as that remains the case, not guaranteed, it will, it will always be so, then that democratic change process in time gets you to that moderate centrist coalition government, which to qualify that again doesn't mean that now in Pretoria there's an administration that's going to fix everything. But it does mean that the odds are there that that you will be free to continue, and as far as you can, you'll have to appropriate more of the functions of the state onto yourself, as many communities already do, very successfully often. Be able to maintain a standard of living here that uh, is competitive if you're in the middle classes with, um, you know, if, if you, the cost of living, all of that, tiny little apartment in London, it will remain a very competitive place for for much of South Africa's um, relatively prosperous middle classes. Such an interesting perspective that you provide. And it really is, if you step back and look at the scale uh, of history, or the, the sweep of history rather, you do see that, certainly in politics, seismic changes are far, far smaller than uh, some people might want to happen. The Middle East, though, is something that is really occupying global minds, and we're right in the middle of it in South Africa. I've listened to your High FM interview. You've got some very strong views about South Africa's court action in The Hague. And the point that kind of the penny that dropped with me, which I hadn't considered before, is that we have a ruling political party that has um, perfected state capture uh, within the, the, the society, you suggested that this could be state capture just in another form. Unpack that for us. Well, that's a track record. A, a senior colleague of mine last night was very useful as I thought, what could I 
tell Alec that he knew. So could it be? In, in the 1990s, the ANC approached the Indonesian, then under Suharto, who was a real threat, and said, if you give us a lot of money, we will soft soap your kleptocratic authoritarian regime. And it appears as if $60 million changed hands that were used for party funding purposes. After that, the Taiwanese were approached and were told, listen, we'll delay our de-recognition of you if you send us money. The figures mentioned that $20 million was asked for, less than that was later paid. Sunny Abacha in Nigeria leased the South African foreign policy infrastructure to for diplomatic favors to make what he was up to in Nigeria not look quite as bad as it was. The ANC set off to Iraq in the run-up to the American invasion and took money in order again to lease out the foreign policy infrastructure. This was before the year of state capture. You know, it's astonishing how ignorant many people who voice views on things are of information in the public domain. This is not concealed anywhere. It's information in the public domain. So, so the, the track record is there. And I mean, I've listened to some of the examples. There, there, there are... There are other millions of dollars, sometimes stashed into bags, flown out for South Africa to, you know, stand up for whoever it is and on international fora. So, so I mean, one of the questions you can put in reverse is, is are you saying that that has all stopped and that at, at this moment the, the, the actions are purely purely honourable. That's, that's, maybe that's the case. It would be quite astonishing if true. Overlay that with the financial problems that the ANC has had, and those have disappeared, coincidentally, with the court action. And I guess it's a very compelling argument that, uh, as you say, leasing the country's international uh, voice. But how strong is that voice now? How credible is that voice if the international community is surely aware of this. Yeah, well, it's it's weakening certainly, um, but you know, if if you at the time, if you were the Indonesians, or even at the time of the Iraq War, yeah, you were probably getting more bang for your buck. But I think increasingly, the I think the ANC makes in some respects a strategic mistake here. Part of it's very, very clever and well-thought-out sort of strategic thinking is you must only advance your revolutionary objectives when you meet with little resistance. And the reason is that you need to lull your adversary into a false sense of security or belief that your motivations are, are, are genuine, whatever the case may be. I think the... ANC has moved so firmly of late in many foreign policy positions, and that, that might be the lavish praise of China, it might be the 
associations with, with Russia. And again, on the Ukraine war, as I've done on this show too, I'm slightly more sympathetic to the ANC's view than many other people. But I think the, the, the mask is slipping. And in the free world, call it that, Western liberal democracies, even the once most fervent champion of the ANC defended to the hilt, often in the face of compelling evidence that they shouldn't. I think even those are starting to break now and starting to box the South African government into a category of countries that you wouldn't describe as fundamentally free and open liberal democracies. And for that, I think in the fullness of time, the ANC will pay a heavy price because you, you, you can depend on, on the non-free world to, to a certain extent, but, but you mustn't delude yourself in thinking that if you're down and out, that China or whatever is going to be generous in, in what it offers you. It's, it's going to take advantage of your weakness, grind you away. You also have the problem in, in, in being the ANC that you don't have a highly efficient civil service. And why that matters is if you want to be a fascist autocrat, you need a disciplined, well-drilled civil service and security infrastructure with which to override uh, democratic safeguards, the sort of human instinct to be free. They don't have that. So the, the risk for the ANC is that in some of its recent associations, it's simply accelerating the process we started this conversation with of seeing its support slip away as that terribly important South African cosmopolitan urban aspirant middle class multiracial constituency. All these steps begins to see that this this isn't um, this, it, this isn't worth fighting for, and and the ANC slips away. And I just lost point on that slipping away on this very vulnerable on its support for Hamas with 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 black conservative Christians, which are a major constituency. And the reason for that is across Southern Africa, the sweeping wave of Salafi jihadism that arose from the displacement of ISIS out of the Middle East. And I mean, th these are groups who, who burn churches, great numbers every year, sometimes with a congregation inside, behead Christians. It's only a matter of time before that constituency, the, 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 the conservative black Christian constituency in South Africa begins to realize what's happening in the rest of the continent, the currently totally ignorant. When they begin to realize that, they're going to draw, put the, they're going to connect the dots and they're going to say, but aren't these guys that our government sort of goes to bat for, to use the cricket analogy and introduce the next section of this show, aren't, aren't these the same guys that are kind of behind the killing of Christians in Africa, and the political price, the electoral price the ANC is going to pay when that realization pay when that realization pays off, it's going to be immense. Second level thinking when many are not applying even first level thinking at the moment. I thank you for unpacking all of that. Let's close off with the David Teager uh, issue. Here's a young 19 year old boy who is clearly a very talented cricketer. He's the captain of the South African under-19 team, um, but no longer because of threats that 
the Cricket World Cup for under-19s is going to be disrupted. He is Jewish, and that's the reason that's being given. Now, Cricket South Africa has been through a rough time. It, it appeared to get it, be getting its act together of late, but seems to have really done uh, made a terrible misstep here. How are you reading all of this? Well, there's a pattern in cricket that the cricket board is more interested in being a political activist organization than worrying about hitting a ball around a park. And um, this is pure Jew hatred, anti-Semitism, and the wish to make the statement that a, a Jew with a strong opinion will not be tolerated and will make a, a national example, international example of that person. It's a might be from an administration perspective, sports administration, the most disgraceful act of racism and discrimination in, since 1994. A friend of mine made the brilliant observation, I must credit him for this, that can you name, or ask you the question, can you think, any, not just in South Africa, anywhere around the world, of a case where a sports club or body had to demote a player and chose to do so because of a security threat and that this action removed, as it ever happened before, it's just complete nonsense, this, this security threat issue, a contrived excuse to justify a horrible piece of anti-Semitism. I'm very glad to see uh, that uh, cricket uh, supporters, uh, administrators, some politicians around the world are starting to pile on the pressure. And I think if CSA doesn't back off, will be uh, more than worthy investment of time and effort to conduct a very deep investigation into what happened in the background, who said what to whom, expose this all and hold any person whose agenda extended well beyond the interest of the game, accountable and clean up the mess, the political mess, that's at the top of the South African cricket pyramid. Franz Grunier is the chairman of the board of directors of the Social Research Foundation. I'm Alec Hogg. David Teague.